So anyways, we're back in the book of James, and we start chapter 4 in James. And I have a question. Now, this is a question that I know none of you need answered in your life. You're, you know, you're going to be like, yeah, no way, that's not me. But this is actually for you because chances are this week you're going to meet somebody who's going to respond to this question. Somebody who's going to have this situation. Be, oh, I heard a message on that. Let me share with you from God's perspective what it is. Because I know this doesn't apply to any of you guys. How many of you already know this doesn't apply to you? Right? Okay, so let's look at the question here. And the question is, why do I have a life full of strife? Okay? We're all believers. We're all spirit-filled. You know, how many of y'all would even just say, I, I remember way back in the day I had a life full of strife. How many of you say, way back in the morning today, I had a life full of strife? <laughs> way back a few hours ago, I had a life full of strife. How many of y'all have ever had a life full of strife even since you've been born again? Yeah. And so James, again, the purpose of James writing this book, um, he was writing it to his church that was no longer in Jerusalem. They're all scattered about in different places. And he's saying, he's saying in this book, I want, I, I want to see you guys again. But if I don't see again, I want to make sure I see you in heaven. So when these situations came into life, how did you respond? And if you responded this way, there's a good chance you're saved. If you responded this way, there's a good chance you're not. And don't, don't not swallow your pride. Give your life to Christ and realize that the proof's in the pudding. You're not saved. And get saved. Give your life to Christ. So it's kind of a test, the book of James is. But yet, for those of us who know we're saved and know we're believers, there's applications in this. James is always going back to Jesus's probably only message, going back to the Sermon on the Mount, going back to the Beatitudes, and he's making it real for all of us. So again, really, as he starts James chapter four, he's saying, you know, James is like, why do you have a life full of strife? That's actually in the very first verse. Let's take a look here. And, and, and it will, I'll, I'll get to it in a second because I want to show you something in Proverbs first. One of my favorite verses in Proverbs 13, 10, it says, but pride comes by pride comes what? Nothing. So when we have pride in our life, we can expect a result of nothing but what? In fact, I learned this in the King James back in the day, and it says only by pride comes contention and strife. So I know in my own life that when there's contention and strife between me and my wife, it's obviously she's got a pride issue, okay? <laughs> yeah. No, we both have a pride issue. When I have strife with somebody in the church or I have strife with anyone, I know that the root cause of that strife is pride. And I can't maybe change them, but I can change who? Me. And I've got to have the Holy Spirit search me and say, God, search me and know me and know my heart. Know what's inside me. Reveal to me what's wrong with me. Reveal to me where my pride is getting in the way. And then I have to make a choice. Because the Holy Spirit, how many of y'all had the Holy Spirit ever get more than honest with you? <laughs> and, and, and all of a sudden, you're like, you got a choice to make. And whether you want to make that choice or not is up to you. Whether or not you want to continue in strife or whether you want to back off. Man, sometimes we're so interested in winning battles, we, we lose the war, right? You know? And that battle's really not that important. We can back off. But it says, by pride comes nothing but strife. But look at this. But with the well-advised is wisdom. Wisdom is seeing life from God's perspective. So when I see this, how in eternity, what difference is this strife going to make? What difference is this issue that I've got strife over? What difference is it going to make? What difference? You know, when I see it from God's perspective, I may be seeing what he's really trying to do. 
he may actually, I'm sorry, I got to keep playing with this. I, uh, there we go. All right. Um, sometimes, you know, that strife in my life, that pride, when he reveals all that to me, man, he's like, got, he's, the, the, he, he's the sculptor and I'm just this piece of rock. And he's taking a chisel and a hammer and he's using the situation to make me more like him. I got to figure out what's wrong with me. I got to figure out what needs to be fixed in me because by pride comes nothing but strife. But with the well-advised is wisdom. That's why we need each other to help each other see life from God's perspective. Because I may come to you and say, well, my wife, she's just full of pride and she's got all this and blah, blah, blah. And then you may come to me and say, no, actually, that's kind of you. <laughs> and I need you to do that for me the same way you need me to do it for you. And we need to do it for each other. Because if there's strife in our life, there's pride. And I've been doing marriage counseling and pre-marriage counseling for over 30 years. Not volunteer, it just shows up on my doorstep. <laughs> I've been doing it for so long that I know that when there's problems, it's not one person's fault. How many of y'all know there's problems in a relationship, it's not one person's fault? You're having a hard time raising your hand, aren't you? It's both people. Because two are becoming one, especially in marriage. So by pride comes nothing but strife, but the, the well-advised is wisdom. So going back to our question in this, um, that was the song. Going back to the question, why do I have a life full of strife? That's the question that we need answered. That's the question you may have a chance to help somebody answer in your life today. Why is my life full of strife? Why is it caving in? Why is this happening? And here it is. Everybody, everybody read this with me. Because what? All right. So say it how not you would say it out in public. Because nobody say, you know, we don't even say, I don't want what I want. Say it how you say it inside, because I want what I want, all right? Can you all do that? A little worship aerobics right here. Take your thumb. Go ahead and take your thumb the way you do internally and say, I want what I want, all right? How many of you have never, ever done that because you're so pious? You're so spiritual, you're so pious, you've never had that I want what I want moment. How many of you all have never done that? Okay, everybody has. So that's the reason. The first reason is because I want what I want. And I'm not settling for anything but I want. How many of y'all would admit to the fact that you have been a big, spoiled brat baby like that and had that moment? Yeah. And you got to realize that is the first step. That is the first answer on why I have a life full of strife. And you don't want what I want. I want what I want. And you got to help me out. So he's going to go in great detail about this. Look what James says right at the beginning. He says, and I'm going out of the New Living Translation, which is very similar to the ESV. And it's not going to be much different than the New, Liv than the, the new King James or King James in here. But it's just easier to understand right here. And so the first, what he starts off by saying, he says, what is causing quarrels and fights among you? And in fact, in the original language, there was no verb in there. It was just like, what? Quarrels and fights among you? <laughs> That's what he was saying. Quarrels and fights among you? You're a believer. You, you guys are saved, right? You're married, you're saved. Quarrels and fights among you? You have the Holy Spirit living in you and you have the Holy Spirit living. Quarrels and fights among you? That's what he's saying. How many, how many of y'all would say, yeah? <laughs> yeah, there's Christy and Zane, quarrels and fights among you? Yeah. Linda, quarrels and fights among us? Yeah, especially as we're climbing a mountain, we're not qualified to, count, qual, uh, qualified to climb and we're having altitude sickness. <laughs> yeah, I get a little cranky, thank you, but <laughs> we justify stuff, but that's really what he's saying. James is going, quarrels and fights among you? Now, he's not talking about the occasional quarrels and fights. He's talking about a lifestyle. 
He said, if your lifestyle is nothing but quarrels and fights, if that's all it's ever been, you better check your salvation. Because this is contrary to being a child of God. He's not talking about occasionally quarrels and fights because I guarantee you that is the key in marriage. Is to, here's your strengths, here's your weaknesses, strengths and weaknesses. Again, I tell every married couple, if, if both of you were the same, one of you is not necessary. What we got to do is realize that we're supposed to leave, cleave and weave and in God's infinite wisdom, he put opposites together. How many of y'all are put together with an opposite who are married? Yeah. How many of y'all ever get upset because they're an opposite and they don't get it, Right. But it's for your protection. Again, if you were both the same, this is the best you could achieve. Karen, I'm so excited you got John to comb his hair today. You comb your hair and dye it blue or whatever. And John doesn't comb his hair, but you got him to do it today. Opposites. And that's not where it starts. I mean, where it stops, right? There's more oppositeness than that. But again, it's oppositeness. So as we leave, cleave and weave. And it's the same thing in groups. It's the same thing in businesses. It's the same thing in every relationship we're in. Al, you know, you put teams together. Do you put teams together with everybody that's exactly like you? No, you try to surround yourself with people who are better than you at things you're not good at. Because then, and then do you try to make them all like you? No, what good would that do? We need to put teams of people together. Realize God puts us together and we all enhance each other. Says, what? You guys are Christians. Quarrels and fights among you? What the heck's going on? He said, don't they come? And he tells us exactly where they come from. He says, don't they come from the what? Evil desires. Say that to your spouse next time you're in a fight. I perceive some evil desires within you. How do you think that's going to work, Terry? <laughs> are you going to do it? Are you going to do it? Record it on your phone. So, yeah, look at it. Record it on your phone and show us what it looks like. I dare you. No, don't do that. Evil desires. None of us want to admit to evil desires. How many of y'all want to say, yeah, I'm full of evil desire? Not most church people don't, but we know we are. Evil simply means ungodly. Ungodly just simply means different than what God has established. Doesn't that sound much better than evil? That's why we've toned it down. That's why we've taken the things that are contrary to God and we made them sound a whole lot better so that we can live with it, so we can justify it, so we can get comfortable with it. And that's what's happened in society. That's what, that's what, that's what Paul told Timothy was going to happen to the church as we got closer to the time of Christ coming back, that we were going to make sin sound more palatable than righteousness. So he says, don't they come from the, the ungodly, the evil desires at what? Say that last word, at what? War within you. How many of you have war? Uh, uh, and I hope you do, because this, this is the test whether you're saved or not. If there's no war, and you just have evil desires, and you can live with that, and that's who you are, and it's just like, you're just the nastiest, evilest, whatever, then guess what? You don't have the Holy Spirit in you. The war is what lets you know you're saved. The war lets you know that your flesh is here saying, Dadgummit, I'm going to be like this. And you know what? I'm not putting up with this anymore. I have my rights. I'm going to, you know, and the Holy Spirit's over here saying, now chill. You, you remember the good, the good angel and the, or the devil and the angel on the shoulders in the old cartoons before that became politically incorrect, right? Remember? And they'd be like, do it. No, don't do it. Do it. It's going to be good. No, don't do it. And you had to make the choice. How many of y'all have that war battling inside you when you're making a choice? Raise your hands. 
if you have that war, you're saved. It's not your conscience. It's the Holy Spirit of God. Because before you give your life to Christ, all you have in you is the evil desires that come with your flesh. And by evil, what I mean is you're going to do good, but you're doing it good for you. You're doing it for you. You're not doing it to glorify God. You're doing it for a selfish manner to do it so that it's going to benefit you. And when you get born again, now you have a desire to do it because, A, it's the right thing to do. B, it's what God wants me to do. And God knows everything. God can do anything. And God's everywhere. And I'd be an idiot not to do it God's way. But your flesh is over saying, no, you'd be an idiot to do it God's way. But your faith is saying, I'd be an idiot to do it that way. And you've got that war going on inside you. And you choose God's way no matter how you feel. That's the fallacy of living by feelings as opposed to faith. Well, I feel like, no. What did Jeremiah, hey, Zane, what did Jeremiah say about the heart? Oh, I'm going with my heart. I'm going to do what my heart wants to do. What, what did Jeremiah say about the heart? Desperately wicked and what? Deceitful above all things. Yeah. Don't go with your heart. You go with what God said in his word. You go with, with, with how God's in, using the Holy Spirit of God to interpret the word of God in your life. So he says, quarrels and fights among you as believers, they, they don't come from, e don't they come from evil desires that are at war within you? And again, if you've got that war, that's a good thing because we live in a world system with the flesh. When you got baptized, we didn't wash the flesh off of you. You got the flesh, but you got a brand new desire that desires God. And so every moment you've got a choice. And so there's a war. And the more, the closer you stay to God, you will see sometimes the more that war rages, but the easier it'll be to choose God. So he said, man, the, he said, these quarrels, these fights. And when you look up the word quarrels and fights, it's, 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 it's not just, oh, we just had a disagreement with the cashier, you know, or, or I you know, said something maybe inappropriate to the person that I'd passed as I was passing them as they were driving too slow. Or, it, no, these quarrels and fights, if you look in the Greek, they're pretty serious. He said, this shouldn't be happening among you guys. But they come from the ungodly desires that war within you, the flesh, man. If you had two big four-wheel drive monster trucks back to back and, and you, had a, you, know, you, you had a rope or a chain on them and you were going to play tug of war with them, all right? How many of y'all think that would be kind of cool? Dustin, would you drive one of them? Yeah, I did, you know? Well, yeah, uh, uh, let me ask you a question. Which one, if they were identical, which one would win? <laughs> well, I have some people right now that would disagree with the whole Ford thing. <laughs> you, you, you and Zane might have some problems. And, and, and they're getting an engine rebuilt in the Ford, so they're not real happy with the Ford right now. But found on road dead, isn't that what? No, I'm just, but if they were both the same and you had the same driver and everything, would not the one that you feed gas to be the one that wins? When you step on that accelerator and you give this one gas and you rob gas from this one, it would have no problem pulling the other one. And it's the same way in our lives. Whichever nature you feed, that's the nature that's going to win when you have this war going on. So he says, that's what's causing them. Yes, he said, you want what you don't have. Hey, I, I gave you a little hint here, but which of the Ten Commandments is that? Do not what? Do not covet. 
you know, that's the 10th commandment. But if you covet, you have the possibility of breaking every other single commandment. Think about it. What are all the other commandments? Have no other gods for me. If you covet something, will you, will you sell out to that God as opposed to the real God? Yeah. Do not kill. Will people kill because they want something? Dude, every day. How about lie? How about steal? How about want your neighbor's wife, want your neighbor's goods? How about all of the Ten Commandments you will violate if you succumb to covetousness? And this is what he says when you let your evil desire win. He said, you want what you don't have. That's covetousness. So you scheme and kill to get it. How many of you ever schemed to get something that you wanted? Come on. Yeah. How many of you ever killed to get what you want? I got cops watching this, man. No, I'm just. <laughs> but let me ask you a question. Do you guys remember the Sermon on the Mount? Do you remember when the Pharisees were like, oh, we've never murdered anybody? He said, yeah, you have. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you don't have to physically murder somebody to murder somebody. Jesus said, all you got to do is what? You're angry with them. You hate them. He said, if you have anger and hate in your heart, you're, he said, that's equivalent. Just like adultery. He said, to commit adultery, you don't have to actually go through the physical uh, you know, realm of, of intercourse, the action of intercourse. He said, if you see it in your mind, if you do it in your mind, you're guilty. And it's the same thing with murder, with killing. He said, you got the anger in your heart towards somebody, that bitterness. He said, that's murder, that's killing. And he said, so in this, you want what you don't have, covetousness, so you scheme and you really get angry and mad and so, so on to get it. It's all for the purpose of wanting. And what's the biggest problem with covetousness? Who doesn't want you to have that? God, because if God wanted you to have that, what would happen? Hey, Ryan, if God wanted you to have it, what would happen? He'd give it to you. But because he hasn't given it to you, he doesn't want you to have it. How many of y'all have stuff God doesn't want you to have? And it's a pain in the butt. You got to take care of it. You got to maintain it. You got to work. I mean, again, when we have something, when he gets something that God doesn't want us to have, it's a pain. It gets in the way of our relationship with him, which is supposed to be key. And that's covetousness. So he says, you want what you don't have, covetousness, so you scheme and kill. You'll make every justification to have it. How many of y'all know that at some point in your life you have gone after something God didn't want you to have and you justified it every which way? Because you had to sell it to your wife first, right? You know, we need this and this, you know, God, or your husband or vice versa. But you've justified it. After you got it, you realize, dude, this is an albatross. This really isn't what I really needed. Now I understand why God didn't want me to have it. I remember my mom, my sister wasn't married yet, and she thought she was going to be an old maid and all of this stuff. And is that still correct to say? Uh, she wasn't married and she was getting of age and uh, she was in her like mid-20s or early 20s at that time. That, back in the 60s or 70s, that was, that was an old maid age. You know? But I remember mom used to always say to her concerning marriage that it's better to not have what you want than have what you don't want. <laughs> How many of y'all say that's true with marriage? <laughs> yeah, it's better to not have what you want than have what you don't want. And so, yeah. So he said, you want what you don't have, covetousness, so you scheme and you kill to get it. You'll go through anything to get what you don't want. When in reality, if God wants you to have it, what happens? You get it. You have to work, maybe. You, a lot of times, work is a biblical concept. You work for it. You save for it. But you don't have to do anything unrighteous to get it. 
is scheming and killing righteous or unrighteous? Yeah, so Joey, if you have to scheme and kill, does God want you to have it? If you have to get mad, if you have to scheme against people, does God want you to have it? No. He looked at this, he says, you are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. You can't get it. So what does that sound like? Are you satisfied or unsatisfied? You're totally on. How many of you have been, uh, again, I don't want you to keep raising your hands. That's just me keeping you awake here. But, but I'm just saying, again, I can have you raise hands on here because my hand's always going up. How many times have, have we been, have we had strife because we can't get what we want? You know, again, we want it so bad that it dominates our thoughts. It dominates our desires. It dominates everything about us trying to get this thing that we can't get. You know, it might even be on Amazon and they're out of it or they send you the wrong thing. You know, I mean, I'm just saying it could be anything. But he said, you're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and you wage war to take it away from them. Which ten of the Ten Commandments did you just break right there? Yeah, you stole it. <laughs> so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Oh, my goodness. I can't tell how many times as a pastor in 30 years, I've seen somebody who, who, who because they can't have the same happiness and joy that somebody else has in a relationship, they've destroyed their relationship. And the person has allowed them to destroy a relationship so they could bring them down to their level. They fought and were trying to get something that someone else had in the wrong way. And so if I can't have it, what do they say? If I can't have it, then nobody can have it. And their whole life was dedicated to make sure nobody else had it. And it comes from wanting something that God doesn't want you to have. So it comes because I want what I want. And when I want what I want, who's the most important person in your life? Me. As opposed to God, as opposed to others, as opposed to anything. He says, so you fight and you wage war and take it away from them. He said, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. Why would you not ask God? Because what? You think you are what? I gave you a hint there. You're self-sufficient. We're too prideful sometimes to ask God. I'm going to get this and I'm going to get it on my own. Sometimes we already know God doesn't want us to have it. We have asked for it. And he hadn't, but I still want it, so I'm going to get it. I'm going to make this work out. And if you're a really good shopper, you can do that, can't you? <laughs> That's me. I'm a shopper, not a buyer, right? <laughs> but look at that. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. You've got this self-sufficiency, or you know God doesn't want you to have it to begin with in all of that, which leads us to our next point, because the first one was I want what I want, and the other, the second reason that you have strife in your life is because I want God to want what I want. Anybody ever try to twist God's arm? Anybody ever learn that's really what prayer is? The more I cry out, the more I beg him, the more I tell him, I am so sick of manna. Every day we collect this manna in the wilderness, and yeah, it tastes like dipping dots. It's, it's like ice cream, and oh my goodness, but I'm sick of eating ice cream every day. God, I want some quail. You remember the Israelites said that? And what did God give them? Quail. And while it was still stuck in their teeth, they had a curse come upon them. They didn't really want quail anymore. They never asked for quail again, did they, Zane? <laughs> never again. You know? <coughs> but sometimes 
I'm going to ask God, and I'm going to be persistent, and I'm going to take Scripture out of context. I'm going to be that widow that keeps knocking and knocking and knocking. I'm going to be that person. And we teach bad theology on all of this, but sometimes because I want, I want God to want what I want. How would you reword that to be better? Is it okay to, I want God to want what I want? What would be a better way to say that? Okay, car before the horse. Yeah, but, but instead of, I want God to want what I want, how about, how about, I want to want what God wants? Which is going to be our last point here, but here, James is going to talk in depth about how people are trying to twist God and, and people who call themselves Christians and people who are not really saved in, in the church, which is where he said, I do want to see you again, but I would much rather see you in heaven. I want to make sure you're saved. And he said, you have a problem because you want God to want what you want. And you're going to twist things so bad to believe that God wants you to have this and you're going to do wrong things to get it and that all in the name of spirituality. Look what he says in these next few verses. He said, and even when you ask, he said, you don't get it. You don't get it from God because your motives are all what? Your motives are wrong. Look what he says. You want only what will give you pleasure. Now, if you just read that, you're like, what? God doesn't want me to have fun. Hey, what do you think about that, Tom? I mean, dude, yeah, that's why he gave us waves, right? You know, he wants us to have fun. And by the way, um, tomorrow they say on the recording the state park is open. So we're planning Beach Day Monday tomorrow. And if I hear anything different, then we'll, we'll do something. That's why you came to church, man, to hear that? No, no I'm just messing with you. Beach Day Monday, you're going to surf your first waves. It'll be awesome. But yeah, God wants us to have fun. But, but in here... You know, you might read this and say, you don't get it. Uh, when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You only want it to have fun. Yeah, I think God wants us to have fun, but that's not what he's talking about. In this word pleasure, the way it reads in the Greek, the way it is, is you're feeding the flesh. You're, if it's only to feed the flesh, if it's not for your good and not for God's glory, you know, then, it, then it's wrong. If it's only to feed your carnal desires, the ones you had before you were saved, if there's nothing spiritual about it, if there's no, God's not even in it, God's not, God's not even a thought you have in it, then it's wrong. If it's only merely to feed your carnal pleasures, he said, that's why God's not giving it to you. You know, so what is it called when you ask God to get what you want? What is that, what is that called? prayer so we pray what can you pray for everything but what does god answer yeah what he wants you to have he answers what's according to his will what is it first john 5 14 this is the confidence we have that if we ask anything according to his will he hears us and whatever he hears he answers he gives us what Whatever's according to his will. That's why we're supposed to say in, in Jesus' name or according to it. We're praying according to his will. You know, we tack things on in Jesus' name. He said, whatever you ask according to my name. Well, his name is not. You don't just tack it on like sign it on a blank check. Hey, dude, I want like brand new cars. Brand new, I, I need a brand new everything, man. Brand new family. Not, whatever. I don't want a brand new family. But man, I, in, this, in Jesus' name. Oh, you put Jesus' name. Awesome. That's yours. Go ahead. Take it. That's bad theology. Jesus' name, it means everything Jesus stands for. It means what Jesus wants you to have. Well, I don't like my neighbor. I want him murdered. Dear God, we murder my neighbor in Jesus' name. No, 
That's not what he wants. It might be what you want, but it's not what he wants. In Jesus' name means what he wants in all of this. It means his will when you look at prayer in Scripture. Again, it's like tuning this guitar here. You know, I could take JJ's guitar and I could really like kind of twist all these things right here. And, and it wouldn't play very good, no matter how good JJ is. And so God's will in our life is we start praying and we say, all right, God, this is how I feel. And he's like, oh, no. And he starts turning the tuner. What he's trying to do is tune our life into his will. He's trying to get us in tune with him. It's not getting God for, to have some alternative blues tuning in here. That's not what it is. The goal for prayer is not twisting God's arm. The goal is our hearts getting in tune with what God wants and with what God is going to do. So that together, man, in the situation God has us in and the power God provides and in his presence and, and his perspective, man, it makes a beautiful tune. Hey, JJ, good luck, man, when you get... <laughs> no, I really didn't turn anything, so... But, so in here, he says, even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want what will give you pleasure. Hey, when I was a youth pastor, I had about 1,000 students a week back when I could handle them. That was a long time ago. And we did a discipleship notebook when we were going to, like, Trinidad, and we are going to Jamaica, and we are going different places. And in that discipleship notebook, they, through their character, earned their way they competed and earned their way to the trip so i'd have a daily devotion and so they would do a daily devotion and they'd read a piece of scripture hey what does it mean to me what am i supposed to do with it today and then the next one would be what did i do with it the next day they'd come back and say what did i do with that scripture how did i apply it to my life and if they never applied it then they would see well that's why i never got anything out of scripture the next one was was the prayer journal and in the prayer journal they would have a, one prayer request. They're like, oh, just one? I'm like, yeah, one prayer request. But I want you to write it in such a way that God would be glorified if he answered it. So they would take the prayer request. Dear God, I want my neighbor killed. Okay, so I want my neighbor killed because it would make our neighborhood a better neighbor. You know, they'd come and they, they'd write it in such a way that God would be glorified. But then I would say to sign it. I made it like a check. And they would write in the request in there. And then the signature was a piece of scripture in context. I want you to find scripture in context that will back up that prayer request. And you know what happened when they started doing that? They were doing more Bible study to, back, to find scripture to back up their prayer requests than they were actually in just the Bible study. Because if scripture will not back up your prayer request, I don't think it's God's will. I don't think it's what God wants to do. So you, I, I would say in prayer, according to this, write, give God your prayer request in such a way that God would have, get glory if he were to answer it. Just say it to him in that way. It's really for you, not him. So, so make it so that the purpose is God will get glory, but find scripture to back up what God, why God would answer that prayer. Because his word is the truth. But here James is saying, man, your motives are wrong. This isn't going to bring God glory. This is going to bring you pleasure, and that's it. Now, if we're praying for really, really good waves, and, 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 and we're going to be a good witness out there, and, and we're going to give God glory, and, and we're going to represent him, is that cool? Absolutely. 
But if it's just so that I can get it, and I want to get it before all of my 500 best friends from Miami and Fort Lauderdale show up, you know, and, and we're going to show them who's boss, and we're going to snake them on every wave, and we're going to set it. No, that's, it's wrong. The same thing, just in a wrong way. Pray in such a way God will get glory if he answers it, and figure, find scripture to back up, scripture in context, to back up why God should answer that. So again, he says, even when you pray, you don't get it because your motives are wrong. You only want to give, ple- you give yourself pleasure. You want to feed the flesh. So look what he calls them in this section. You what? What is an adulterer? Someone who cheats on their spouse. Okay, so in scripture, Jesus is the groom and we are the, we're the bride. Okay, and in Israel, God was the God was the he uses that illustration that God's a groom. Israel is a bride. But in there, so it says you adulterers, you cheaters. Don't you realize that friendship? And again, when we read this, we could say, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes an enemy of God? Whoa, wait a minute. If I'm friends with people who are not saved, I'm an enemy to God. And that's the way a lot of people would read this, but it's not correct. He said, don't you realize that friendship and this Greek word for friendship means an intimate relationship means that all your intimate relationships are with people that don't see life from God's perspective. Look, remember Psalm one, we talked about it on uh, in our small group, right on Wednesday night. Blessed is a man that doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly because you're going to end up standing in the way of sinners. You're going to end up in the seat of the scornful. You're going to end up doing the very things you didn't want to do. You're first, you're walking, now you're sitting, and now, or standing, and now you're sitting, and you're doing things you never want to do. He said, but, but, he said, but the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, he's like a giant shade tree in a desert planted by a river, and and everybody's going to come get shade, and because your roots go down into where you're never going to run out of water, your roots are good, you're always going to be able to provide shade for people looking for it. So it does make a difference in who you hang out when he says, if your most intimate relationships are with this world system, and he's not talking about people in the world, he's talking about this system. So let me ask you what, God's system is this, right? Who do we, in God's system, who do we love first? And then he calls us to love, and then we get the benefit, right? What's the difference with the world system? Who, the world system causes us, tells us to love who first? Me. If I don't love me, how can I love you? How many of y'all heard that garbage? I got to love me so I can love you. Well, the problem is you never get done loving you to love me. You don't have real love to be able to then love me. You've got a selfish me love. The world says, love God. He'll cause you to love others. It just happens. You'll, in fact, John even says, you'll know whether you really love God by how much you love others. Because you say you love God and hate other people, you don't love God. Woo, no. And, 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 he's, and, and how many of you have ever been in that walk where you love God and you've watched him just cause you to love people? How many of y'all have been in that before? And how many of you say, that was the worst time of my life. I hated it. No, because you just walked around and dude, life was good. God designed it that way. That's his system. The world says, about me. It's about me. I got to love me. And you're getting in the way of me loving me. I know we've been married, but you're in the way of that. I know that I've been in this job. You're getting in the way of that. You're, uh, how many of you found when you try to just love you, stuff gets in the way? 
It's a backwards way to go. The world says, love me, and then you might have some spare love for somebody else. And then if God doesn't get in the way, then we'll go ahead and love him too. But you know what? I have a feeling when we see a holy, righteous God in Scripture, and if we're busy loving us, there really isn't much time, effort, energy, or desire to love a righteous, holy God. Because he's going to tell us to do a lot of things that are going to get in the way of me loving me. It's got to go the other way. You love God, dude, you can't help but love other people. That's what John said. And then the benefit comes to you. So he said, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship, an intimate relationship with this world system makes you a what? Now, the good news, if you're born again, you can't be an enemy to God. Because according to Romans 5.8, he said that while we were an enemy to God, he died for us and paid for our sins and we're never an enemy to him again. But so if you're if you're if, if you really are in an intimate relationship with the world system, you can't be in an intimate relationship with God. Here's God over here, the ocean, and here's the world system. There are two different ends of the road. If you're walking this way, how much of God are you, you a part of? Oh, wait, wait, I'll turn back for Sundays. Okay, yeah, I see you, God. And then you keep walking, and, and, and Bruce Lee, God keeps getting what? Farther away. You've got to turn. And again, it ain't about Sundays. It's about a daily walk. And so the point is, with you're a Christian, and you're walking away from God, the Holy Spirit's bringing conviction. That's the war. And you say, yes, I, I, I repent. That's what the word repent means. And you turn back to him. And as you start walking closer to God, he's going to show us what that looks like in the next few verses. But he said, if your walk is just this and you're like, oh, yeah, here's token God, you know, and your walk is purely I got to figure something out here. Uh, maybe we got to tape this thing on my head. I don't know. Duct tape, right? They make flesh colored duct tape. If not, dude, we're just going with camo. No, <laughs> but if your life is purely just walking away from God. How can you say you're a believer? And that's what he's saying. And that's the real reason James is writing this. Is if you're saying you're a believer, but this is where your life is. He said, I want to see you in heaven if I don't see you on this earth. Dude, turn and come back to God. And I'm not saying that as a believer, I don't walk away from God. But man, I'd like to think when he gives me conviction, I turn. And again, while I'm having that battle, this is my life. <laughs> This is my life. How many of y'all can identify with this? This is my life right here. And sometimes I'll actually go hang out in a cul-de-sac and say, oh, I found a comfortable place to stay. And then God says, get out of the cul-de-sac. And you get back on the road. And one day, you know what's going to be awesome? Is we're going to be totally with him. And there's no desire to be over there at all over again. He takes the flesh. And we're walking in the spirit for how long? Ever. So you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship and intimate relationship with the world, the world system makes you an enemy to God? And, and again, James has given us always the negative first, and then he brings the positive. So get ready. If you've been sleeping through the negative, we're getting to the positive. All right, here we go. Not quite yet, but almost. But look what he said. I say it what? Hey, if God says it once, is it important? What if he says it again? <laughs> How many of y'all parents have ever had to say something again? Yeah, you've had to do that? Your kids, with your husband's genes, I mean, he's like, like awesome, right? And, and, and you actually have to say it more than once? 
Oh my goodness, I just can't believe that. But <laughs> every parent, Keone, does your mom ever have to say it again? Yeah, why? Because you don't listen the first time, right? So he says, again, I'm going to say this again in case you don't get it. If you want to be a friend, you want to be in an intimate relationship with the world, if that's what you want, you make yourself an enemy of God. And you need to get saved. If that's your lifestyle, understand where you're at before it's too late. And when is it too late? When you what? When you die. How many of y'all are dead? How many of y'all are still alive? Yeah. It's not too late if God's speaking to you on that. And so... He said, look at this. He said, do you think the scriptures have no meaning? This is God's word. What he used to speak the world into existence. You think this has no meaning? They say that God is passionate. <laughs> scriptures say God is passionate. He's a passionate God. Hey, Joey, are you passionate? Now, how many of y'all know Joey? Is Joey the personification of passionate? Yes, <laughs> he's stoked about everything with God. And, and, that's, and I know many of you like that, but he said, God is passionate. That the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful only to who? That's what means he's a jealous God. Hey, Fernanda, you and Terry have been married for quite a while. We just celebrated, what was it, your 20th, 30th, 20th? Yeah, and, and just did that. What if Terry came home and said, Fernanda, I love you. And we've had this relationship 20 years. It's good. I'm, I'm, I love it. I love our kids. I, everything in my life is for it, but for business sake... There's this other lady that I'm really going to have to develop a relationship with. It, it will help us. We'll have more money. It'll help our business. It'll help what we do and everything. But I'm going to have to develop another relationship. And, and Fernanda, I'm really going to actually, she, she's pretty smart. So I can't like just act like I love her. I'm really going to have to love her. And I'm going to have to love you too. And, but I'm going to have to love her. I, lo I got to love her because there's going to be benefits. And, and I'll make sure you get some of those, those, those carnal benefits to it. You'll, you'll get some of the cash. You'll have more money you spend on Amazon or wherever you want to spend it on, shopping and everything. But, but I'm get, you're going to have to share me. I'm going to have to love another woman. What would you think about that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See ya. And that might have to be after he's dead for even suggesting it, right? Because you have the keys of the gun cabinet. I'm just saying. The, the, how am I, how ridiculous is that scenario I just presented? But that's the scenario we keep presenting to Almighty God who loves us more than anyone has ever loved us and, any, and will ever love us. He said, you, he said, look at this. They say that God's passionate. How many would say God is more passionate than you in your relationship? How many of you say God loves you more than you could possibly love any other person? As passionate as you might be, that, that, that's true. And the spirit that he's placed, and there's some disagreements on how exactly the wording goes in the Greek, but what it really truly means is that God's a jealous God, and God has given us more than we could ever deserve, more than we could ever earn. He, no one's going to love us more. No one could ever love us more. And we're not going to understand how much he loves us and, until we get to heaven and the flesh is out of the way. But you just got to trust that. And we should be faithful only to him is that reasonable but just like israel we go whoring on god isn't that what happened within the book of hosea in the book of hosea he told a, a godly priest he said go marry this girl named gomer well that's the first mistake who's gonna marry a girl named gomer right <laughs> 
dude, go marry this girl named Gomer. She might have been good looking, but she was a prostitute. And Hosea's like, dude, I can't marry a prostitute. I am a righteous man. I'm a priest. I can't. He said, go marry the prostitute. I got to make sure this is you, God. <laughs> this is me. Go marry a prostitute. I'm going to teach Israel a lesson. So Gomer, he goes and marries a prostitute, right? If you haven't read the book of Hosea, read it, man. If you haven't read it in a while, read it again. And, and, and he goes and marries a prostitute. And everybody's like, ooh, dude, you're the priest, man. What are you doing marrying a prostitute? And God says, hey, you're my you're ch- children of the most holy God. What are you doing whoring on other gods? And so he, he woos this prostitute. And guess what she does in the middle of a relationship? What does she do? She goes out again sleeping with other guys. And Hosea's like, all right, so am I free? He's like, no, dude, go woo her back. I don't want to woo her back. She's done cheated on me, man. He said, go woo her back. Woo, that's actually the word in the King James, woo her back. You want to know how to woo? Go look what Hosea did to Gomer to get her back, man. He wooed her back and, and wooed her back, and she came back only to go back and cheat again, only to do it again. And that was his lifestyle, but it was the lesson to show Israel Dude, I am that faithful husband, and I woo you back over and over and over again. Even though in my omniscience, I know you're going to sin against me again. But I love you so much that I'm going to woo you back. It doesn't make it right. It doesn't mean there aren't going to be consequences, because there are consequences. So that's what James is kind of referring back to here. He said, man, the spirit that he's placed in us, the deal God's hooked us up with, we should be faithful only to him. Hey, when you gave your life to Christ, how much of your life did you give to Christ? Hey, Ryan, when you gave your life to Christ, how much did you give to him? All of it. So is there any room for another relationship in there? So as soon as you see another relationship developing or developed, what should you do? Turn around, repent, come back, beg for mercy, which is where he gets so, so, so graphic in this next couple of verses here. But look at this, should, stay, should be faithful only to him. When I do a wedding, like I did this last week, and in the I do vows, okay, so you don't have to have shotguns and everything. It's like, hey, will you take this woman to be your wedded wife? Will you, you know, have and hold this day forward, better for worse, so on. And will you stay faithful only to them as long as you both shall live? If the groom or bride can't say yes at that point, am I going on with that wedding? No. Yeah, I, I can do everything but that last part. I'm like, dude, we're done. And in your relationship with God, God should expect more than that. Stay faithful only to him. And, and so Matthew 6, one of my first, this is a segue into our last point. It says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek first, seek only, seek always the kingdom of God. Not your kingdom, not the world's kingdom, but the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Do whatever he's asking you to do. And look what he says will happen. All these things will be added unto you. So in order to have everything you need, what do you have to seek? Him. That's it. Him. That's all him. And you'll have everything you need guaranteed, which brings us to this last point. So again, when we have wars, we have the life full of strife. It's because I want what I want. And if I'm not getting it, then I want God to want what I want. But the real answer is God wants me to want what he wants. And he wants me to want who? Yeah. Not the stuff he provides. Not all that junk. You know? Hey, Jason. Got it right this time, right? Yeah. 
would it be right to marry her for her money? <laughs> yeah, when you first met her. Yeah, I'm just saying. I'm just, would it be right to marry anyone for their money? No. How would you feel if somebody's like, hey, I want to marry you? I don't really, I just want to, I don't really love you. You're okay. You, you, we got some things we agree and disagree, but I really just want what you can offer me. Would that be, no. But that's what it's like to get in a relationship with God for only what he has to offer you. You're marrying him for his money. <laughs> you know, that's not what it's about. You're marrying. In fact, when y'all married each other, did, did y'all marry each other for your for your earthly goods? I know my wife didn't because we don't have any. We, have, we do. We do. But, dude, I was a seminary student. She was a legal secretary, and we barely had ends meet. So I don't even have a life insurance policy, man. So it's like she wasn't married for another. She married me, married me for me, right? Isn't that why you got married? For who that person is. You know? I know Terry had lots to offer, but you married him for him, right? And you married her just because... Dude, she still wants me back. I'm going with this because I don't know if there's any others. No, I'm just messing with you. <laughs> no, she wanted you back, and that was, that was enough for you. What a beautiful thing. One day I want them to share their testimony. It's beautiful. I'd love many of you to share your testimony of your marriage because it's a beautiful thing what God did. But if it's beautiful, it's because you married each other for each other because of what, 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 who you were. And so God wants me to want what he wants, and he wants me to want all the things he can bring me, all the things he can provide while I'm here on this earth. But isn't that how we sell the gospel sometimes? When in reality, the gospel is not sold that way. The gospel is presented in the fact that in, in, in the fact that God, look, there's an awesome God that knows everything that can do anything that's everywhere. And he loves you enough that he made it possible for your sins to be taken away and paid for. He wants to give you a deal where you can live with him for eternity. That's his purpose in all of that. So God wants me to want what he wants, and he wants me to want him. Not all the things he can provide, but he wants me to want him. So look at verse 6, last few verses we have. Terry, how, how much longer can a few verses take? Is that watch right right there? Oh, no, it hasn't been moving. I'm going with that one. That's better than the one I have here. All right, so I got five more minutes on that one, but check this out. I really got to share what God wants in here. And plus, some new people just came in. So, dude, we got to go a whole nother hour, man. No, I'm just, they, they're not going to get their money's worth unless you preach it to them. How many of y'all are going to preach it to them? What's up, Race? I didn't recognize you with a hat and everything, dude. Yeah, nice. All right, good to see you, Race. Carol, I got it. So hold on, guys. Carol Ann, you know, the, the, the lady that always cries and laughs in church. Uh, she loves you, bro. And she wanted me to, I talked to her the other day on the phone. She wants me to tell you that there's not a day that goes by she's not praying for you, bro. If you ever want her number, she's got, she's written letters, but doesn't know how to get them to you and stuff. She's been, yeah, dude. So, I, but I'm going to, if you want, you text me, I'll give you her number because that lady prays for you every day. And she wanted me to tell you, if I saw you again, to tell you how much she loves you. Yeah, all right, but not as much as Jesus does. So let's get back to this, all right. So look at this, what he says in verse six. And he, God, gives grace generously. In fact, in some of your translations, it says he gives more grace, more grace than you actually need. Grace is the desire and ability to do his will. So whatever he's asking you to do, he's giving you more desire and more ability to do what he's asking you to do than you actually need. 
and there's an unlimited supply of it. So you got no excuse. He said he gives grace generously. As the scripture says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So he's telling us how to overcome this bad desire we have inside, the strife we have where I want what I want and I want God to want what I want. He's telling us how to come to the point where I want what God wants and it's him and to be satisfied in only him. He's telling us how to do it. So he gives us grace. Grace is the way. And as scripture said, God opposes. Hey, now check this out. When you want to do what God doesn't want you to do, God opposes. And in the Greek, this word oppose means he puts on full battle array. Hey, is anybody here military, ex-military? When you put on full battle array, what does that mean? You're going to war, buddy. You've got your bull. You are, are, are dressed to the hilt for your protection. You're going to war. It's not just a verbal little, hey, you know. If you want to fight God, God's ready to fight you. Why is he ready to fight you? Is it because he hates you and you're now his enemy because you've gone against them? No, it's because Karen, he loves you too much to leave you in the destructive sin that you have chosen to live in. That's why God fights you. God's like a special ops team going in after you, you know, and you're like, no, I want to stay with the enemy. And he's like, no, you don't. And he's like, hey, that ne Terry, when people fought you, you were a rescue. You would go rescue people in Coast Guard, right? And you're diving down. They were the idiots that went out. And did you ever have people go out when they shouldn't have gone out in a boat? All the time. And then they're calling, we want you to rescue us. And you're like, we said we weren't doing it in a hurricane, but here we come. And, and you go. And then they're panicking and fighting. You're trying to rescue them. And they're trying to drown you. What'd you do to them? Pop them in the nose. Is it because you hated them? Well, you're not God, so you might have. But, but you pop them in the nose. You knock them out. Because it's what it's going to take to get them out of the mess they got themselves into. So that they, and now your intention, when they were up there in the helicopter, now you were like, oh yeah, now we're going to take it. We're going to shoot you full all kinds. We're going to mess you up. We're going we're gonna to do plastic surgery. You're going to look like a woman now. No, I'm just like, did you like messing them up? No, the purpose was you rescued them. And, and then you were nice and, and sent them off only so they could maybe do it again, right? But that's what God's saying. He comes in full battle array. When you say, God, I oppose you. God, I'm doing it my way. I'm not doing it your way. If you're his child, he comes in full battle array, knocking you out if you come fight him. And it's not because he hates you. It's he loves you too much to leave you in the sin. He knows what that sin is going to do to you. He knows what that lifestyle is going to do, that lifestyle of pride. He knocks you out, knocks some sense into you. He'll do whatever it takes. How many of you know God did whatever it took to get you to come to him? Yeah, buddy. Yeah. He allows all of that to get your attention, to get whether it's for salvation or it's for repentance. He'll do whatever it takes. And it's not because he hates you, not because you're his enemy. It's because he loves you too much to leave you in the current state you're in, knowing the destruction that sin will cause because he knows everything. He's always been around, and he's got all power to do anything. So what, what good would Zane, how smart is that to fight God? <laughs> it ain't real bright, is it? He gives grace generously. As Scripture says, God, full battle array, opposes, fights against the proud. The proud has said, I'm doing it my way. But he gives grace, the desire and ability 
to do his will to those that will humble themselves. Look at this next verse. So here's the answer. Humble yourself, <laughs> right? You, you know, it wouldn't have been much easier if you would have said, all right, relax, calm down. I'm your rescue swimmer and I'm here to run. And they're like, oh, cool. All right. <sighs> that would have been humbling. It would have been easier. I wouldn't have to punch you in the face, right? And that's what God's saying here. If you had something revealed to you, humble yourself. You know what that means? Put God back in charge. He's already in charge. If you hadn't figured that out, like the rescue swimmer, some people had to figure it out the hard way, right? But you were in charge because you didn't just say, all right, fine, go ahead. <laughs> you couldn't do that just because of who you are. You couldn't do that. And God's way better than you, so he can't do that. And so do you want to get punched in the face or do you want to put him in, let him be the, be the boss? And again, he's not punching in the face because he hates you. It's because he loves you. How many parents have ever spanked your kid or disciplined your kid? And you remember your parents saying, it's going to hurt me more than it hurt you. And then you did it and you're like, because when your parents said it, it was bull, right? It was like, yeah, right. But when you did it, you realized, yeah, I got to discipline you because it hurts me more to discipline you than it hurts you. And that's God. Humble yourself. Put God back in charge or go fight him and see how that goes. He said, so humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he would flee. You know what? Those are not two separate things. He's saying this together. So if you want to resist the devil so he flees, what do you have to do? Humble yourself. That's how you resist the devil, by putting God back in charge. It's not like fighting off. I'm fighting Satan. He's attacking me. And that's modern theology. That's garbage. You alone against Satan, he will kick your tail every time. You're nothing compared to him. But he is nothing compared to Jesus Christ. Amen. And so he's not saying, oh, I'm resisting, I'm resisting, I'm resisting. So many people try to beat sin by resisting. That's like treading water. Terry, they're out there treading water. How long can they tread water? Different people, different times, right? But can anybody tread forever? No, you go down. And that's what, man, that's you resisting. Instead of resisting, repent, humble yourself and put him back in charge. Let him be back in charge. And then he does the fighting for you. And is he going to do a little more, a better job of fighting the devil than you? You better believe it. If you don't think so, go really read what scripture says about God, what scripture says about Satan, and what scripture says about you and your strength. It's God that's got to be doing that fight. And resist the devil, he'll flee. The way we resist the devil is by humbling ourselves before God. Here's what, coming, here's what humbling yourself looks like. That's what the last of these verses are. Look what it says. All right, we're on the bat, wrong road, and God says, hey, hey, and we, we turn, which is repentant, right, Ryan? And, and guess what? As we turn, we're becoming what? What's the next verse say? We're coming closer to God. And guess what? As we're coming closer to God, God's coming to meet us. Did you ever have to sort of swim towards a, a, a drowning swimmer? Yeah. And so they were coming closer to you. You were coming closer to them to rescue. And that's what God, he's saying God's doing. When you allow him to be in charge, come close to God. God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. Because as you get closer to God, how many of y'all have made changes in your life as you got closer to God? Because you saw how holy he was. 
when you're walking this way, you're like, yeah, yeah, I got a good vision of God. Okay, I see him in my rearview mirror. We're okay. We got a good deal, me and God. And then, but when you start walking actually towards him and start getting close to him, dude, you find out how holy, how righteous you find out how your relationship is and what it looks like to humble yourselves is, is you come closer to him. He comes closer to you. He says, man, get that out of your life. You wash your hands. Hands are what you do stuff with. So I want you to quit doing that. And you're like, yes, sir. <laughs> I don't want to go back down that road again. Purify your hearts. It starts all in your hearts. You allow him. God, will you please take this desire out of my heart that's wrong? It says, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. And he wants to kill that division. He wants you only loyal to him. Look at this. He said, let there be tears for what you've done. I wonder when's the last time we cried because of what we've done to God and in wanting to restore a relationship. You're like, yeah, we just don't do that in 2020 anymore. Come on, man. You know, that's just not what we do anymore. But you go back to revival times. That's what happened. When there was great awakenings in the world, people were falling out of the pews crying because they realized who God was and who they were. We have found a comfortable Christianity like, yeah, I don't need to cry. I don't need to go that far. But I'm going to tell you why in a minute. Let there be tears for what you've done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Doesn't that sound like somebody who's sorry? Doesn't that sound like somebody who's sorry for what they did? When somebody's really, really sorry for what they've done to you, it's like, man, there's tears. I can't believe I did that to you. Man, I have deep grief. Will you please forgive me? Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Wait a minute. I'm not coming back to this church. I don't want to hear that junk. That's Bible. That's not junk. It's not bad theology. This is the Bible. And look what I put here next to it because the illustration I saw was awesome. Like an adulterous spouse begging for restoration. I can't tell you how many times I have sat down with husbands and wives wanting to end it all. And I always tell them, if you both want to make it work at the same time, we can make this work. What ends up happening is one person gets tired and says, I'm out of here. I'm done. And the other person's like, oh, no. They realize what they've missed. Like, oh, no, I want back. I want back. I want back. And they've got crying and tears. And they're coming to me. And I'm like, I'm not the right one. And they keep trying to come back. And this one's like, no, I'm, st I'm done. They're stoic. They're done. I'm not having anything to do with it. And then finally, this person gets tired of begging and they walk off. And then all of a sudden, this person's like, wow, you know, I can't have my cake and eat it, too, at this point. And they're like, but I want them back. And then now they start, and they're like, no, man, you blew me off here. You hurt, you know, I've got a new life. And all of a sudden, they don't get back together. But if they both want to get back together at the same time, it can work. And you know what happens? What if one, was the, what if one partner was done with the other one because of an adulterous relationship? Because basically, oh, you know, for whatever reason, I really needed to be in that I needed to be in love with this other person, too. And I can't tell you how many times I have seen an adulterous, the adulterer come back and beg to be taken back and beg with tears, beg with crying, beg with their heart and soul to be lit back into this relationship. And so often this person that they're begging doesn't want them back. But let me ask you a question. When you come begging to get your relationship right with God, does God want the relationship to work? Yeah. So why would we come crying and begging back for mercy, but whoring on our, on our earthly spouse and not do the same thing, coming back to God, who loves us more than anybody can, and we don't even understand how much he loves us.
That's why he treats it this way. That's why James says, let there be sadness instead of laughter. Let there be gloom instead of joy. What happens if we were doing marriage counseling and, and this one had an affair and, and this one's coming and, and I want to get back with them. And they come back and here's the other person, man, you know, who was faithful. You know, I'm not saying they had any problems, but they were faithful. And this person comes back and says, all right, you know what? The reason I went out whoring is because you didn't meet this need, this need, this need. Hey, you know what? If you'll change and you'll do this, 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 and this, and then we'll be okay. What if the person coming back was that way? How do you think reconciliation is going to work? It's not. That's why they come back crying and begging and sad because they know what they've lost and they know that all they can take care of is what they've done in that and they want to fix that. And they're not even guaranteed that other spouse is going to take them back. But with God, we're guaranteed. I wonder how many of us really need to get our relationship restored with him. As believers, we never lose it. We're saved forever. But dude, how many could get, of us could get our relationship right with him? How many of us have ever taken our sin that serious? Where it's broke our heart and it's separated us from God. Not eternally, but while we're here. That's what James is saying, man. If you're saved, that's going to be your life, man. So he said, man, you realize what you've done to a holy, righteous God. Let there be sadness instead of laughter, gloom instead of joy. Get that relationship back right again. He says, in the end, this is the last verse we look at. Humble yourselves before the Lord. Humble again means what? Just let him, just let him know that you know he's in charge. Whatever you want, humble yourselves before him. And it says he will lift you up in honor. And that honor is a restored relationship where you are walking high with him again. You and him are walking in that spirit-filled relationship because he's ultimate holiness. He's not going anywhere. You're the one who went somewhere. Kind of like, bad pastor joke, and I end on this, but... I remember when I was out in the country and somebody told me about, you know, there was this couple, old, old couple riding in an old F-150 Ford. Surprised it was still running. No, I'm just messing with you. But <laughs> GMCs, right? No, <laughs> mine's rusted out. But, but they're riding this old F-150. And the husband's there at the steering wheel, you know, and he's driving. And the wife's way over here on the other side by the window. They had a bench seat in there back for all the fancy cars. And the wife's over there, they're driving out country road. She says, you know, remember when we were young? Remember when we were like first dating and we got married? How we used to all be snuggled up together on this front seat? And he's like, yeah. And she said, what happened? And he said, I didn't go anywhere. Because <laughs> he's holding on the steering wheel. It was you that kind of went over that way and got comfortable. You, in other words, if you want it, come back. And if you want that intimate relationship with God come back and that's what james is saying here strife is just a symptom it's a symptom to where our loyalty is we have a loyalty divided between us us in between two kingdoms so the answer is to humble ourselves and let god be in charge if you want what you want your life will be full of strife if you want what god wants you get what you want which is him and your life will be content and that's what James is saying to us today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for applying this to my own life. Father, I pray that each of us, when we have strife in our life, we'd not try to point a finger and blame it on anyone, but instead we would figure out what our contribution that strife is. We would realize that 
as we believe in your sovereignty, as we trust you, that every single thing coming in our life is by your design to make us more like you. And it's there for our good, and it's for your glory. And Father, I pray that we would treat it as such. Instead of doing what the world does and basically trying to find another situation with no strife, because there's not going to be one if we're included. Father, help us change. Help us to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and watch you work in our lives. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name.